I may not have mentioned this last week, but I started Mark year like 2014, and then um, we left the ministry where we were, and since then I went back and sort of here I've done Mark, I've done all those sermons again up to where I started uh, a couple weeks ago, and so what I want to do is finish finish Mark, and so um, I'm going to do that before I move on to the next whatever. Um, I've got a couple of things in mind, possibly Hebrews, possibly something else, I'm not sure, keep, keep swirling around in my mind, but I do want to finish Mark, I feel like I never got the chance to and wanted to, so, um, and so we read the passage, um, again, sort of picked up where we left off last week, this rich young ruler who walked away disheartened. And sad because he had great riches. Um, and then picked up on what happened after that. So last day, last Lord's Day, um, we picked up on this, or began at this scene where Jesus' disciples, of course, were um, deciding who Jesus had time for and who he didn't, right? And these parents were bringing their children and little infants wanting Jesus to bless them and they were being turned away by the disciples, and of course, of course, Jesus didn't like that and rebuked his disciples and demanded that the little children be allowed to come follow him and or come to him. In fact, he said, "To such belong the kingdom of God." To these children, in fact, he went on and explained what he meant by that, saying, "Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it." And this must have astounded disciples because uh, surely getting to God had to be more complicated than that. But nothing could could prepare them for what they were about to witness and hear from Jesus. As this rich young ruler ran and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? But really, he said, to inherit eternal life. What must I do? Only to hear Jesus say, finally, go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And we discussed how this was no accident. These two um, stories being put together, these two happenings being put together that the kingdom must be received like a child and now sell all you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. A childlike faith, in other words. A wholehearted trust with gusto, like a child would do. One that's simplistic. And basically, Jesus proved to this young man, this rich young man, that he had indeed not kept the commandments, though he thought he had kept the commandments. And that he was in desperate need of spiritual provision, every bit as much as the small children and infants were in need of adult provision and that if nothing else his desire not to leave his possessions and follow Christ was proof that he didn't really want the kingdom or at least he didn't want the king of the kingdom who was standing right in front of him he was in fact unlike the disciples who had had left maybe not wealth but they had left everything they knew to follow Christ. And they did like the parables in Matthew chapter 13. 
which teach that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered it up. Then in joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Because that treasure represents Christ and the kingdom, right? And then the very next parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Right? That pearl of great price is, is Christ, right? And maybe at this time, because the disciples have been following Jesus for a while, maybe they have forgotten this truth. Because with no questions asked, really, and with a childlike trust, when Jesus put out his hand and said to Matthew and to Peter and James and John and so forth, they just grabbed his hand, so to speak, and followed. But maybe they were beginning to see the prize as the fame or some kind of worldly treasure or some kind of earthly kingdom and were forgetting that the greatest treasure was not the journey but the one who they were following, right? You remember when he simply walked by Simon Peter and Andrew, his brother, who were casting their nets. He, all he said was, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And we read that immediately they dropped their nets and followed him. And James and John, who were the sons of Zebedee, and they were on their father's boat mending their nets. And Jesus just said, follow me. And immediately they followed him. It doesn't get much more childlike faith than that. And so I thought about this more this week. I wondered, was all this for the disciples who maybe had forgotten that, right? They've been following him now for a while, and their faith had maybe, we know their faith was wavering. It had grown stale, maybe just cold and dark. And they forgot this childlike readiness and trust to follow the one who was calling, gladly leaving behind the world's treasure for the one who had made the world. And so maybe that's why these events are here for them, but also for us. Because how often do we lose focus? And how often is it just because of the fact that we're sin-ridden and we live in a world that is sin-ridden and life gets the way it is that we just have these times where we get lost and we forget that, man, this is really about Christ. It's not about what I have, what I don't have. It's not about what I do, what I can't do. It really is about Christ and trusting him. Because we all get there. I'm going to read to you from our confession later. It points out so beautifully this fact that that's how Christianity is, right? Man, sometimes we're excited. Everything's, we can see Christ in everything. We see God's purpose in everything. And then sometimes we just wonder, what on earth is this all about? Am I even a believer? Do I, does this matter to me? And so... I think that not only should we consider the disciples were there in that kind of place to where they had forgotten that Jesus is not just about healing and raising the dead physically, but he's here for people and for ransoming and for uh, something that's way, lasts way beyond this life. And so we get to our text today, and I love that Jesus continues his teaching 
though nobody's asked the question, he sort of addresses the elephant in the room, right? Because he's just made this incredible statement. This young man that no doubt the disciples looked at and said, this guy has it together. He's wealthy and they equated wealth with the blessings of God from the Old Testament. And it's not a wrong thing to do. There are times that God's uh, blessings are a symbol of the fact that they're his people. Now, sometimes that's, it doesn't mean that everybody who's poor and doesn't have a lot is not right with God or that God's blessing is not upon them. And in fact, you should look at um, the Old Testament and see their reasons why people are poor. And it's not always because they make poor choices or they don't care. Now, that is a reason, but it's not always the reason. But they watched this young man walk away disheartened because he kept all the commandments. It looked like. But then Jesus said, okay, well, then sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And he just walked away sad. Now, we don't know what happened later. We don't know, was he walking away out of conviction? Was he walking away because he didn't want to get rid of his wealth? That seems to be the indication. But you can imagine the disciples are thinking, we're following Christ. We're doing what he says here. We have left everything and followed him. But this man doesn't seem like he's going to get the kingdom or eternal life. Jesus doesn't even follow him and chase him down and say, whoa, 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 I'm not finished. Here's what you need to do. Do these things and you'll get eternal life. He just said, what I, it's almost like he said, I said what I said. and Now he'll... This will either happen or it won't happen. He didn't follow him. So the disciples have these questions, obviously. And so Jesus says to them, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom. Now that must have really smacked them in the face. We thought that's why we're following you. Part of the reason, you know, we're going to get something out of this. But then he goes on, and again, as he did with the statement about childlike faith, I think he sort of clarifies that. Because then he even brings it down further. Now, if you have a newer translation, I, re- I read from the ESV, he just simply says how difficult it is for people to enter the kingdom. I think the King James says how difficult for people who trust in their wealth to enter the kingdom. But either way, he's bringing it down further to show, hey, you know what? For people to have eternal life, for humans to be saved, it is a difficult, difficult, not only is it difficult, it is impossible. And he uses this analogy. In fact, in, just in case you're not getting it, it would be easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? Easier for a camel to squeeze or go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And again, they must have been thinking, oh no, I mean, I thought that's how we knew we would be with God. If he blesses us and gives us stuff, then obviously we're doing well and we're doing right. And so God's seeing what we're doing and he's blessing us and he'll just keep doing that until we get to the kingdom. But especially if the ESV or if the newer translations are correct and he just boils it down simply to how difficult it is for people to get to the kingdom in fact this is how likely it is 
a camel squeezing through the eye of a needle. And so they said to him, or again, the translations vary, either they ask him at this point or they're just talking among themselves. Well, then who can be saved? Right? Jesus, the one we've been following, just said how difficult it is. He just said that in order for a human to get to heaven, or the chances of a human getting to heaven are good as the chances of a camel squeezing through the eye of a needle. In other words, impossible. And so they ask, well, then how can somebody be saved? And then maybe the greatest, one of the greatest passages in all scripture, right? Jesus looked at him and said, with man it is impossible, but with God it is possible. For all things are possible with God. What a beautiful statement. And here's what they'd already missed. And what we sometimes miss. And I don't think we have to dwell on it constantly and forever, every day, but sometimes we ought to just be astounded. I was thinking as we were singing that last song, all those things it says, I find them at the cross. I find my meaning and purpose at the cross. We ought to be astounded how difficult it is for a sinful human to be made right with God and be brought into the presence of God, to one day be in eternity with God, to allow sinful humans to be brought into the kingdom where nothing dwells but perfect righteousness. That is impossible, yet God has made it possible. That is the gospel. It's the beauty of it. And again, it's the, it's the level playing field. We can't boast about this. For me to have gotten to God, it would have been just like a, knee, a camel squeezing through the eye of a needle. This is totally impossible. But here I am. Right? Here you are. God has saved you, overcome the greatest impossibility, because with God's all things are possible. Now, that's a beautiful verse no matter what. And I know we, a lot of people take it out of context. I'm not sure. I mean, it is true that there is nothing impossible with God except, of course, for him to be a liar or for him to deny himself or be in opposition to his character or act outside of how he has revealed himself in the word of God. Those things are impossible because he can't deny himself. And anything is possible, but I think it's important to keep that passage in its context. So for us to think anything is possible with God, impossible with man, possible with God, it's just a great reminder of the fact that God has redeemed us. How impossible it was for us to do something for God to redeem us, yet he has redeemed us because he did something. This is specifically about entering the kingdom. Yet it's amazing how men continue to try and save themselves. Even though Jesus has put it this way. I mean, I'm amazed that works-based so-called Christianity doesn't see this passage for what it says. You want to save yourself? You want to add anything to this formula for being saved? You might as well squeeze a camel through the eye of a needle. It, there's nothing you can do. It's impossible for humanity to save themselves. But now with God, it's very possible. He has to become a man and submit himself to the law of God and perfectly keep it and die on the cross as if he were a sinner 
though he wasn't, to make it possible, but that's exactly what he's done, right? At the cross, all these things are made possible. And not possible in the sense that there's a possibility you could be saved if you'll do something. No, he's made the impossible possible. So that now God will redeem his people because it is possible. Not possible that there might be a chance some of them won't be redeemed. No, all of God's people will be redeemed because of what Christ has done. Our confession says it this way in regards to the covenant that God has made to save his people. Though rational creatures are responsible to obey God as their creator, the distance between us and God is so great that they can never have attained the reward of life except by God's voluntary condescension, right? And since humanity brought itself under the curse of the law by its fall, it pleased the Lord to make a covenant of grace. In this covenant, he freely offers to sinners life and salvation through Jesus Christ. On their part, he requires faith in Christ that they may be saved and then promises to give his Holy Spirit to all who are ordained to eternal life to make them willing and able to believe. I mean, there it is. That's the possibility. God took what was impossible, your inability to be alive, you're dead in your sin and trespasses. He's brought you to life. He's given you, by his spirit, the ability to believe in this childlike faith in Christ and to be saved. The only thing he requires of us, he's given us the ability to do. That's why the impossible is possible. It's a beautiful thing. And now Christ makes this astounding statement. But then you have Peter, who's like most of us. I think he's still stuck on the very first thing. Well, wait a minute. This guy left everything. I mean, this guy refused to leave everything. And you said if he'd leave everything, then he could go to heaven. But he wouldn't leave everything. Of course, he might have forgot about that last part. Follow me. But maybe not because Peter brings this up. Wait a minute now. We have left everything and followed you. And so Jesus says to him, that, that's true, Peter. And I say this to you. There's no one who's left houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel's sake who will not receive a hundredfold. And this is an interesting statement. I don't know everything this means. I've read a lot of commentaries and a lot of people don't know. What, what does this exactly mean? In some ways, I think it's just the blessings of the Lord. Does it mean everybody's going to get... A hundred houses, because he said a hundredfold, you're going to get a hundred houses. And you're going to get a hundred brothers back and a hundred sisters back and a hundred mothers. No, it's somehow just wrapped up in the fact that when you follow Christ with this childlike faith and you know that he is your Savior, the riches of this world, the things of this world, even your family forsaking you, even your house being taken from you, God will restore to you what you're missing, what you think you're missing. And I think that's why he's saying this to Peter and to the disciples. Okay, I know there's some days you think you left all this to, for, for, for what? And especially later, and he's about to get back to his teaching of his death and resurrection. I know you're thinking, we left all this and you're just going to die? Oh yeah, but you're going to have it restored. But notice also in the restoration, he included with persecutions. So just in case you're thinking, oh, there's some prosperity gospel. Really? How many prosperity preachers say, get ready, your, your persecution's coming, and it'll be a blessing? 
In fact, if you'll sow into our ministry, we'll sow back to you a hundred times persecutions. Give us a hundred dollars, we'll get you, you know, a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars worth of persecution. You don't hear that. But somehow Christ is saying something here. I'm not sure we can understand until we've walked through it. Or maybe even until eternity, we're able to look back and see, I didn't lose anything. Man, my family forsook me because I followed Christ, but I was restored in ways I didn't even know. I was given a new family. A family of brothers and sisters that will last for eternity. And Paul said, you know, he counted it a joy to suffer with Christ. So in some way, even the persecutions are blessings. But then he sums it up, and hey, in the age to come, eternal life. Not because you forsook things. You're not saved because you laid down your nets. You're saved because you followed me. And I think that's the point he's trying to get back the ruler wasn't lost because he had stuff. He was lost because he didn't really want me. And again, hey, we all need to hear the gospel and be brought back to the cross and brought back to Christ because we all fall in this snare. There are times that light grows dim, as the confession says, and we forget what it's all about. And I think, I think Christ is making an important statement here. Hey, yes, Peter, what you do matters. And besides that, your father knows what you're doing, but you're not earning eternal life. And the Lord gives and he takes away. If you get something in, in return for your suffering and for your um, abandonment of this world, it'll be because God gives it to you out of free grace, not because... And because you're following me, not because you're better at laying stuff down than this rich young man was. And so I thought I would, I would read these reminders about our good works from the confession. Because hear what it says. Believers are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So that they bear fruit, leading to holiness, and have the outcome, eternal life. Again, all that's from God. Believers' ability to do good works do not arise at all from themselves, but entirely from the Spirit of Christ, who enables them to do good works that they need, in addition to the graces they have already received, an actual influence of the same Holy Spirit to work in them and to will to do His good pleasure. Yet this is no reason for them to grow negligent, as if they were not required to perform any duty without a special motion of the Spirit. Instead, they should be diligent to stir up the grace of God that is in them. So when that light is dim... Don't sit around and mope about it. Do what you know is required. And again, I think that's what Jesus said. Peter, I know you want rewarded for these things. Just do what's required. It's not lost on God. Because the days you want to follow him, that comes from the spirit of God within you. It's not because you're, more, you're, you're a bigger deal than the rich young man that went away or anybody else. It's because of the, God, the, the spirit of God within you. And it keeps going, we cannot, even by our best works, merit pardon of sin or eternal life from God's hand. Due to the huge disproportion between our works and the glory to come. There's that great chasm again that chapter uh, 7 of our confession spoke about. When we, um, by these works, we can neither benefit God nor satisfy him for the debt of our former sins. So we're not working off something. 
There is no purgatory, not even this life or the one to come. Christ has paid it all. All right? So when we sing that song, believe it. Jesus paid it all. When we have done all we can, we have only done our duty and are unprofitable servants. Since our good works are good, they must proceed from the Spirit. And since they are performed by us, they are defiled and mixed with so much weakness and imperfection that they cannot withstand the severity of God's punishment. I love what the confession does. It builds you up and it kicks your feet out from under you. Just in case you get, like again, what Jesus is doing here. Don't get misfocused and think you're doing something great by following me. You're doing what God's Spirit is giving you the ability to do. But do it. Don't neglect it. And when you do find yourself neglecting it, start doing it. Because you are created in Christ Jesus under good works. But then finally it finishes up. Nevertheless, believers are accepted through Christ. And thus their good works are also accepted in him. This acceptance does not mean our good works are completely blameless and irreproachable in God's sight. Instead, God views them in his son. And so he is pleased to accept and to reward that which is sincere, even though it is accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections. Praise the Lord. Because everything we do, even when it's good, is accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections. Causing us to stop and say, should have caused Peter to say, wow, Jesus, I get that. The only reason I laid down my nets was because it was you calling me. I couldn't have turned down the, the Lord of glory who calls. But of course, they're a long way from that yet. They're, they're, they need the resurrection. They need different things to happen. But you and I, we look back, we know all this to be true, right? We know about the resurrection. And I think maybe at the end of the day, this is the point. Hey, the Spirit blows where it wishes. In salvation, in the works of the kingdom. And then Jesus says this, Peter, don't worry you haven't figured it out. In the kingdom, many who are first will be last and last first. Based solely on the determination of God. Stop worrying about works and follow Christ. Rest in Christ. And do all you do as unto the Lord because it is unto the Lord. And he will determine the worth of your works. Just believe Christ and follow him. As that hymn says that we sing, let goods and kindreds go in mortal life also. Because the only thing that matters is Christ. Man, the disciples, we see in them us, don't we? God, they just get... They just get bombarded by the world and worldly thoughts and suddenly they're off base and Jesus brings them back with this teaching. And for a lot of them, it didn't make sense until later. Like those on the, the Emmaus Road discovered. Man, when he was talking to us, didn't, did not our hearts burn within us? And at one point, it says, and then they understood all that he had said about his death and his resurrection. Man, a lot of times we just need God to bring us back to that. All that he did in his death and his resurrection. Because that's where we all find ourselves at times. Like these guys. And they're still not going to get it. We're going to move uh, forward in just a few short passages and find a couple of brothers trying to jockey position in the kingdom. Because they still don't get it. And their minds are still clouded by worldliness and sinfulness. And all their good deeds are wrought with as the confession says, wrought with plenty of defilement and weakness, as are we. Thank God for grace, and we'll celebrate that 
with the supper. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and for the truth that it is. And Lord, thank you for always bringing your people back to this realization that what we do and who we are is not lost on you because you see all that in and through your son. I mean, his righteousness is accounted to us and we haven't done anything righteous. And so thank you for these lessons and these truths that hit so hard but are so beautiful because it does remind us that what was impossible through our own merit and because of our sin has been made possible and completed in Christ. It is finished. There's nothing left to be done. We can't do anything to earn eternal life. We can't do anything to earn your favor. You've given it freely. So as we partake of the supper in your grace, I pray that you would strengthen us, that we can walk in the works which we are created to walk in. And that by your Spirit, you will enable us and encourage our hearts and renew that fire that is never snuffed out in our soul because of the Spirit of God that is in us. It may grow dim for a while, but you will open back up our eyes wide that we might see the light and walk in it. So help us to do that and celebrate that today. In Jesus we pray. Amen.